spiritual practices. Last week I asked you, what, do, what, are, your, what are your go-to spiritual practices? What are the things that, you know, that's just that's what you go to. I, th- I, I mentioned for a lot of people it's worship, and I am, I'm included in that. There's times worship is used as that transition thing to bring me into that place where, okay, I'm shifting gears, and now, you know, I, I'm just going to set my sights on the Lord. Um, I preached a message last week called Flexing, and today it's uh, Flexing 2, and I desperately wanted to do the graphic Flexing 2, Electric Boogaloo, because, so in my mind, it might say Flexing 2, but it's Flexing 2, Electric Boogaloo, because there was a movie in the 80s called Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo, and uh, there we go. Spiritual discipline. You guys, it's so easy to get into a rut or to get into just the familiar. I am, I'm the biggest creature of habit I know, and, I, and I'm okay with that. Uh, went out to dinner, new restaurant in Longmont this week, ordered a shepherd's pie because I was talking to chef, and he raved about the shepherd's pie, so I ordered the shepherd's pie, and I'm like, I will come, I made a declaration, I will come to this restaurant again, and I will eat shepherd's pie probably every time I come here. I will try nothing else. Uh, Longmont, uh, what's the name of it, Andy? Public House. Longmont Public House is where it was. Shepherd's Pie was phenomenal. The toffee pudding or butter cake was phenomenal. Maybe one day I'll try the beef stroganoff. They say it's phenomenal. Probably not because the shepherd's pie was phenomenal. I'm a creature of habit. So I've been stretching myself in spiritual discipline. And, And here's why. I don't want to become numb. I don't want to have such a routine with the Lord that I'm not open to newness, new instruction or new direction or new challenging or new sharpening. Part of my routine is when I go for my 45-minute walk every day, I'm listening to something. I'm listening to a podcast. You know, I'm I'm listening. But I've I've been doing... Multiple walks a week where I listen to nothing. There's just silence. Even to the point where if it's cold, like, I want to hear the wind. Like, I, I don't want to cover my ears. I want to hear just the beautiful sounds of nature. Because that's a spiritual discipline, the, the, the walking with the Lord in the silence that I'm trying to nurture. How cool was last week having the, the, the panel that we had up here and just reading through scripture like a verse or two at a time and then praying scripture. Wasn't that awesome? You guys aren't saying anything right now, but after church last week, I had so many people say that was awesome. It was awesome. I don't need your validation. There were a lot of people that said, I'm going to try that. I'm not going to ask how many people did do it, but you should. It's wonderful. Today we're going to stretch a different muscle. We're going to stretch another spiritual discipline. And what we're going to do today is we're going to read through an entire chapter. Last week, I just got done saying, when when you're spending time in the Word, you don't have to, to plow through, you know, a, a chapter or two chapters, or you don't have to, you know, that's that's not the purpose of it. But I will say this, that is a spiritual discipline that is good to practice. So if you will turn in your Bibles, um, to Mark chapter 8. Um, this is an amazing chapter. I don't want to like 
feel like I don't want to spoil anything. It's, it's good from top to, to bottom, and there's some really cool secrets. And when we talk about the mysteries of the Lord, um, they, they're, not, they're not secrets. They're mysteries. They're things that God wants to reveal. They're things that God wants to bring revelation to that he's not hiding from us. And to me, Mark chapter 8 is just one of those chapters that it's not just a bunch of dangling participles ordered together. There's, there's progression. There's, there's interlinked truth. So here's, here's what I'm asking. Mark chapter 8. Turn there in your Bible or your Bible app. And stay with me. Don't be distracted. Don't wander. Don't let your mind wander. We're going to just let Scripture do the heavy lifting. As we read this, and I, I'm just going to let you know, my goal, and I see the clock, my goal is to read through it twice. My goal is to read through it the, read through it the first time and then to circle back around and, and kind of unpack as we go. Uh, is that okay that we're doing this? Totally hypothetical. It's okay. Whether you said yes or no, it doesn't matter. We're doing it, right? Like, right? Okay. I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat. Uh, all right, I'll stop there. Just again. There's certain words you've got to look for. Like, you're like, oh, the word again. This is interesting to me. Um, when a great crowd had gathered and they had... Uh, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way and some of them have come from far away. And the disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. How many small fish? A few. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And these were big baskets. And there were about 4,000 people. Actually, this means there were 4,000 men. There were even more children and, and women. And he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of uh, Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. And said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them. Got into the boat again and went to the other side. Now, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. 
And Jesus cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And the disciples began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And, and, and the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not understand? Do you not yet understand? Verse 22, and they came to Bethsaida. A uh, real cool thing, um, Beth means house. So Bethsaida means house of fishes because this was a small fishing village. Bethlehem means house of bread. Bethel, Bethel it means house of God. So just anytime you see you know, Beth and you're curious, just turn to like blueletterbible.org and be like, oh, what does Beth blah, blah, blah mean? You know, house of what? So this, it means house of fish. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on the eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. Verse 27, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. And Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Jesus took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. And calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever, if I can pause real quick, that's why we hang a cross right here. Number one, we love the fact that it's empty, right? The cross of Christ is empty. He, he gave his life on that cross, and he was buried. He died. But he conquered death and rose from the grave. But also when we look at this, we should be reminded this is the cross of Christ that we are to da daily partner with him in carrying this work. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous, sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. 38 verses, right? How long did that take? Fifteen, do I, do I hear do I hear less? Do I hear yeah, hawk time. Yeah. I I I bet you if we could go back it'd be between ten five and ten. This is probably for me the eighth or ninth time I've read it this week. Um Let's not be afraid to spend time to chew through a chapter, like and to chew and to meditate. So I'll be honest with you, I I I didn't go on to chapter nine. I I stayed right here at eight because there's so much truth here. There's so much that's here. So we're gonna read it again, and I want to point some things out to you. I want you to know every time there's a question mark at the end of that sentence, and how many times Jesus is asking a question. I want you to note, I want you to, to put tone into this. Having read it once and us reading it again, I want, I want you to put tone behind Jesus' words, and I'm going to try and do that as well. There's a passage, when we get to it, I'll let you know. There's a passage that I'm preaching next week. Um, and I, I can't wait. I initially thought that's what I was preaching this week, and the Lord had other plans. So let's let's go back to... Verse 1. In those days when again, again, a crowd, a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and he said to them. So this is why I emphasized that again. A great crowd again. Are are you aware that, that Jesus fed thousands multiple times? Multiple times. Here in this passage is he referenced, hey, when I fed the 5,000, how many baskets did you pick up later? Hey, when I just fed the the 4,000, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Multiple times he fed thousands. This number of of 5,000 or 4,000, that was the men only. We don't have to get into it. It was just how they did things then. They counted the men, so how many women and children might there have been, and how big was that crowd, and now you apply How many baskets of leftovers were there? So again, there's another crowd. Again, there's a hungry people. Not just hungry physically, not just hungry here, but hungry here. Hungry for the Lord. This crowd, it says, they were there three days. Jesus is saying, they've been here three days with nothing to eat. They won't go away. And so if they won't go away and take care of their bodies, we got to do something. We got to feed them. What kind of food we got? This is after the feeding of the 5,000. You'd think the disciples would learn their lesson. They don't. you think we would learn our lesson. We don't. How much food do we have? How much bread? Seven loaves. If I were to make something 
If I were to make spaghetti tonight, I would go to a store and I would buy a loaf of bread. How big would that loaf of bread be? You know, like the, the Italian or the French bread. It's the same thing, right? I don't even know what the difference is. The Italian bread, French bread, same thing. So you go and you buy a, a loaf of German bread, and it's like this big, right? We're not talking about loaves that big. We're talking about small loaves, seven. Jesus performs this miracle, and he feeds thousands. Verse 9. And there were about 4,000 people, and Jesus sent them away, but he sent them away full and satisfied and filled up. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutham. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign. He sighed deeply in his spirit. He's like, you've seen a sign. They had, it's not like they hadn't seen the sign. They'd seen miracles. They'd seen the signs. They had heard the teaching. But it says that they're, they're, they were seeking a sign from heaven to test him. I'm going to apply this to my life. I don't want to be the one, I don't want to bring about heavy signs to my Savior because my lack of faith is once again asking Jesus to, to, to give me a sign, to test him, to really show me that you're good. God, really show me that, that you're loving. God, really show me that you're faithful. But we do that. We don't believe it. We've seen it time and time again, but then a heavy situation happens and we forget it. You're gonna get you're not gonna get a sign. You're not gonna get a sign. And he left. I just want you guys to know that, that Jesus is not our vending machine. He is he is not our microwave. Whether we you know we pop a few coins in the vending machine and, and we expect okay, here's my here's my blessing. Okay, here's my the quick answer to my prayer. Okay, here's the microwave, we, okay, 30 seconds, uh, 45 seconds. Okay, Lord, give me just 45 seconds. I've got 45 seconds to respond. Because that's all I've got time for, Lord. I'll give you 60. I'll give you 60. I'm feeling generous. So he gets in the boat and he leaves. On the boat, the disciples are like, oh, man, we really need to get better about bringing bread. I'm hungry. Ah, did you hear that? Ah, my stomach's growling. So Jesus starts warning them about hypocrisy. Hey, I just want to warn you about the hypocrisy of Herod. I just want to warn you about the hypocrisy of, of the Pharisees. And he starts warning them about their, their hypocrisy, warning them, hey, don't fall for these traps. Don't get, don't get suckered in. But he uses the term leaven in speaking of bread. And so... They're like, oh my gosh, dang it, Jesus is disappointed in us. We forgot bread again. 
verse 17. Jesus, aware of this, aware of this, not hearing them, Jesus, aware of this, says, okay, let's start counting the questions. Ready? Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Is that one question or two? Perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Six. Uh, When I broke, so those at this point, I think were rapid fire. He's not looking for an answer. He's actually showing his frustration with them. Do you not remember? Do you not? And then he's, so this one he asks, he's actually looking for an answer. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They responded, 12. And, and uh, the, the seven loaves of bread for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And he said, seven. He says, this is phrased as another question. I'm going to phrase this as a statement. And you still don't get it? And you still don't get it? You still don't understand? Love this transition. Jesus just got done saying, you have eyes that you don't see, you have ears that you don't hear. Then they go to Bethsaida. Verse 22, and they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. How, how stinking affectionate is that? Hey, I, I, I want to pull you aside. Come with me. And I, I don't know how he embraced the blind man, but he, he embraced the blind man and says, come on, I'll lead you. I'm thinking maybe a five-minute walk. Will, will you walk with me? I'll make sure you don't stumble. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out. I don't know how long the walk was. I don't know how far it was to get out of the village. But I do know this. Jesus was his personal guide. Jesus took this blind man and led him. And when they got out of the village, for whatever reason, which I'm not going to claim to understand, Jesus spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him. I believe there's three times that we've seen Jesus spit. Um, I, I want to encourage us. Uh, we only saw three times. I don't know that this is a way that I, I'm entirely comfortable with us praying for one another at Impact Rock Church. Um, so, so no spitting and praying. I don't know. I mean, just because Jesus did it doesn't mean you can. That I, I, You better hear the voice of God, like Sean Connery, Scottish voice of God. And when he had spit on his eyes and he laid hands on him, he asked. Now it says here, uh, do you see anything? Do you see anything? But here's the way I think, in my mind, here's how I read this. Do you see anything? Because my disciples are still struggling 
to see. Do you see anything? And the blind man looked up and said, I, I see people, but they look like, like trees walking. Like I imagine like if you're squinting, right? Like, like a silhouette, like a hazy. I see people, they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hand on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. Just go home. Go home. I'll be preaching on this miracle next week, really unpacking this, because this is unprecedented in Scripture, uh, a two-part miracle. We've, prior to this point, we've never seen this before. That's for our sake. We're going to unpack this. This, this two-part miracle is for our sake. It's for his disciples' sake. It's for his followers' sake. It's for the sake of us who, who, who tend to think that Jesus can be that vending machine, one and done. Hey, you know, instant gratification type thing. And he's like, come to me again and again and again. I'll, that'll be more next week. Verse 27, and Jesus went on with his disciples in the village the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way home he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And I imagine in his mind he's going, ah, they don't see. They don't see. Who do you say I am? And then Peter speaking up, I, I believe on behalf of the other disciples, he says, you are the Christ. I think Jesus for that moment goes, ah, okay, they see. Verse 31, and he began to teach them that, this, that he must die. He must suffer many things, be rejected, be killed, and then after three days he would rise from the grave. Verse 32, and he said this. How did he say this? How, how did he say this? Plainly. He's not speaking in a mystery or a parable. He's speaking plainly. Hey, I know I speak in a lot of parables. I know I do that. I know I use stories. I'm letting you know this isn't a story. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be shamed. I'm going to be killed. The Son of Man must suffer these things. But on the third day, rise from the grave. I'm going to come back to life. He said it plainly. And Peter took him aside. Who did Peter take aside? He'd seen Jesus do it. Here, let me pull you aside. He'd seen Jesus do it. So Peter's like, hey, Jesus, uh, hey, let me pull you aside. And Peter rebukes Jesus. So Jesus goes, oh, golly, dude. I just, I, I, I just bragged on you that, that maybe you're, you're getting it and you don't get it. Then Jesus turned and saw his disciple. So he, here's what he did. He and Peter are talking and Jesus does this. And then I think Jesus, I think Jesus does this. So now he sees Peter and he sees his disciple. And he says, get behind me, Satan. I don't think that was just for Peter. Peter was the mouthpiece. He was the spokesperson. He was the, 
the Enneagram 8 just said, I, all right, I'll speak up. Get behind me, Satan, for your, get behind me, adversary. That's what Satan means. Get behind me, adversary. You, you're, not, you're not cooperating with what I'm doing right now. You're, you're acting as if you're an enemy. Don't you understand that, that the Father's ways are not your ways and that this has to take place? For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then, so Peter, and he turns, and now it's Peter and disciples, right? And then what do we see in verse 34? And calling to the crowd to him with his disciples. Maybe even a little bit more of a, okay. Okay, hey, everyone, gather in. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now you realize the crucifixion hadn't taken place yet, right? The significance of the cross, for you and I reading this, we have the significance of the cross. They don't have the significance of the cross right now. He's, he's referencing the most shameful way that a Roman citizen, you know, is, is, is tortured and killed. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. Let me not just read that that fast. That was way too fast. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Let's put a period there. Period. Whoever would lose his life for the gospel's sake will save it. Period. Now, he's not talking about, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I repent of my sins. Save me right now. He's talking about a, about a life abundance. And he's saying, will you, will you surrender your will, your life, your ways, your preferences for my sake? Will you do this for the gospel's sake? Once again, he hasn't died yet. He hasn't been arrested yet. He hasn't been portrayed yet. When we talk about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, when we share the gospel, we share of his life, his death, his resurrection, his life, right? When we talk about the gospel, that's what it is. He's saying, for my sake and for the gospel's sake, what he's saying is, will you follow? Will you truly follow and partner with me in this work that I'm doing? How many of you guys have never seen that, that, that sentence before that has those two parts? It's not just a one-time thing. What he's saying is, yes, come to me, but come to me again and again and again. Yes, you got touched by me, but come again, I'll touch you again. Yes, you got fed by me, but come again, I'll feed you again. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Once again, I don't believe this is talking about salvation because that's not the word that's being used there. It's forfeit your well-being. Forfeit your inheritance. For what can a man give in return for his soul? His mind, his will, his emotions, his inheritance, that center of who he is, 
following Christ. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, this unfaithful and sinful generation, of that person will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. I, I know that there's chapters in the Bible where the, there seems to be like a, a, a different heading and that they kind of at times seem a bit segmented. And mine has headings too. Jesus feeds the 4,000 is the first heading. The Pharisees demand a sign, the second heading. The leaven of the Pharisees and Herod's, the third. And there's headings. But this is not segmented. This is a continuous word of the Lord to us. Can we, can we stand real quick? I want to challenge you guys with these disciplines. And I'm not pigeonholing. And I don't know how many of these. I don't know. I know there'll be a, a flexing part three next week. I don't know if there'll be a flexing for you. I don't know. I mean, we have Easter coming up in a month. I'm not going to preach this on Easter probably. I mean. But can I challenge us with this? If we've gotten numb and routine in our relationship with Christ, there's no life in that. There's no life in that. Challenge yourself. If you're going for that walk, take out the air, the AirPods, and, and let there be silence so the Lord can speak to you. If you've got, if you're making time for Scripture, just make it interactive. Just stop and pause and read it again and again. Go, oh, God, this is so good. Rave to the Lord. God, this is so good. I've never seen this before. Thank you for showing this to me. Show me more. Show me more. Oh, I'm so hungry. That's so good. I, I really do love the fact that in Ephesians 4, it makes it real clear what our job as pastors are, and that's to equip you. This is part of that equipping. It's not to entertain you. It's to equip you. I'll tell you the hardest part of my job. This is the hardest part of my job. There's not even a close second. This is the hardest part of my job. This is the hardest part of this calling. It's to sit up and proclaim truth that I know will bring life if you'll do it. And to walk away going, they're not going to do it. Or they didn't do it. A month later to find out they didn't do it. He didn't do it. She didn't do it. Guys, grab a hold of the truth that the King of kings and the Lord of lords desires a personal relationship with you, and this is a means to do it. And I'm just calling it a discipline so that we can be mature and walk in, walk in strength and fulfillment. As we pray, you don't even have to listen to what I'm, what I'm praying because, I, honestly, it's not, that, it's not as important as the one I'm asking. I want to pray you purpose in your heart and, and dialogue with the Lord with intentionality about what you're going to do to respond to this, okay? Lord, you are life and your word is life and, and we don't take this lightly and so Lord, we, we just need help because we could, we could walk away in an hour from now and have forgotten all about this because that's how distracted sometimes we get or Lord, that's how stubborn sometimes we are. 
Lord, you said to your disciples, do you not yet understand? And Lord, we, that hits home. There's times I feel that way, Lord. There's times we feel that way, like, oh, Lord, I'm, I still don't get it, God, and I'm sorry. So, Lord, we do come to you in a, in a spirit of repentance, changing our minds about our dullness, but also asking for your help to grow us in this area. Help us, Lord. We, we really, for real, Lord, just help us to grow in you. Help us to take your word seriously, to take your spoken word or your written word seriously and to heart and to walk it out. Lord, I pray for every person in this place, Lord, every individual, every couple, every family, every young person, every old person, Lord, everyone, Lord, in this place. Lord, I ask you to just be abundant and generous with your blessing of tenacity. Lord, that you would just be tenacious in reminding us of your goodness and, and the need that we have to feed on you so that we don't go away hungry and weary. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so excited to preach next week, honestly. I, I entertained preaching both messages today. Holy Spirit's like, that's stupid. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's stupid. You got next week. So I'm excited to preach it next week. Um, I'll leave you with the blessing and, and the encouragement to come back next week. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Have an amazing day. If you need prayer for anything, come on up. If you haven't missed the opportunity to receive prayer, and if you don't know Jesus but you want to know him, come on up um, because we'd love to make that introduction and pray with you as well. Have a great day.